0: was just to stay home and not not do anything. Uh, sometimes we think we long for those days just to be home and and uh, just relax, but it's harder to do uh, than you think it is when you're used to being at church. And uh, I was thinking about this verse of scripture. They asked me several years ago in Bible college, they asked for a verse uh, that I felt like was, I guess they call them life verses. I don't know that I consider it a life verse, but it is a verse that's Dear to me, and Paul said this, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid on me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel... I may make the gospel of Christ without charge; that I abuse not my power in the gospel. We take advantage, or we take uh, advantage of the things that we have, and uh, when when you miss those things, it's certainly evident in our lives. And I thought, man, I just told my wife one day this week. I said, I just want to preach. That's just what I want to do. I just want to preach. And uh, said for many years of preaching. It was all there was this job would be fun because preaching is what every called man wants to do is preach and uh, those are just a few passing thoughts tonight as we go to the book of John chapter number four book of John chapter number four do pray for Miss Betty brother Danny uh, that family I was with Miss Betty for a little while yesterday got to visit with her some and uh, so she's doing well, but uh, she's taking care of Chandice now for about five years. And, and uh, so we pray for her and Brother Danny and all that family as they prepare for the funeral on Monday, all right? In chapter number four. I'm going to read the first four verses tonight, and then we'll get into the message. When, therefore, the Lord knew how the Pharisees has heard that Jesus Made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Father, thank you again for your word. Pray you touch it and bless it tonight. Use us for just a little while, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, as we begin chapter number four in this I guess preaching study, I call it a study even though I preach through it, not everybody uh, considers a preaching study, a Bible study, but we're going, or at least trying to go verse by verse through the book of John, and I consider that a study. And I want to remind you tonight that John is pointing us to Jesus, the Son of God. He is revealing to us deity, he is revealing to us very god in the flesh, Christ's deity is on display all throughout this gospel of John. We've seen and will continue to see His humanity as well as His deity. You'll see the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I do not know that there is another gospel that presents Christ as human as John does. displays the humanity of our Lord John's gospel is simple, but yet it's powerful. Showing us a Jesus uh, to all who read it. You cannot miss Christ as being the Son of God. I said last week that we have left that famous conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, we spoke about the conversation of the disciples uh, of John and how they were talking about the work of the disciples of Christ and uh, all that was going on there. There was somewhat of a jealous nature there in that conversation, and, uh, but tonight we're going to move toward, we will not get to the conversation tonight, but I want to move us toward the next famous conversation that most Christian people will recognize when we talk about the conversation or the dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman that is found at Jacob's well. And uh, before I really get too far uh, with the woman, I want to look at how Christ arrived uh, in Samaria. And I hope tonight I can show you just in these first three and four verses uh, exactly how it was that Jesus got to Samaria and to this conversation with the woman at the well. The first thing I want to notice tonight is what I will deem as a religious problem. There is a religious problem in these first four verses that we run across. Jesus said, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. I, I have deemed this a religious problem due to the fact that the Pharisees have been named as the reason why Jesus moved on from Judea. As I read and prepared to study this and was looking more toward the woman at the well, there was a phrase that jumped out at me that really was an extremely sad phrase when I read it. And that is these three words. He left Judea. That is an extremely sad sad phrase that we find in the word of god the reason why that i find it so difficult and so sad to look at tonight is because very simply uh, people were getting saved and baptized in judea and uh, it appears that the lord was working and moving in the land of judea he was the bible said clearly uh, that he had made and baptized More disciples than John, the very words that John had said were coming to pass. John's ministry was decreasing while Christ's ministry was on the rise. And uh, in the midst of all of that, uh, the Bible said, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more. And then there's that parenthetical verse in verse number 2 that uh, that gets exact with some things. But then verse 3 comes that phrase, He left Judea. It is a religious problem that Christ has moved on from a work that was taking place that was a good work. It was a... A productive work. It was a work uh, where souls were being born again and lives were being changed. They were following Christ in baptism and uh, the Lord's hand was on what was happening. The problem there is what John presents uh, uh, that Jesus already knew. Part of the problem it was that the Pharisees had heard. This is a present accusation in the text against Christ it was an accusation that he had made more than John and the accusation had brought division if you back up to chapter number one uh, and you back up to uh, what was taking place uh, let me make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself uh, they were they were a, a, a discussion or an argument so to speak I'll back up and go there between the disciples of John and John the Baptist, as to which baptism was the best, which one was the most prominent. And it had created a religious problem as to who they should follow. The Pharisees began to question both sides as to those ceremonial washing rites that were found in the Old Testament. It became a religious issue. And Christ left Judea. There was no rejoicing in, uh, that we can find in the text that uh, says that uh, those people were happy, that the Pharisees were happy about people being born again. No, no record where uh, the church was shouting over a revival type movement in the midst, but rather it was a problem. Now as a side note right here, I want to say that the statement in this text that appears was placed there to disprove the accusation. And it does disprove the evil doctrine of baptismal regeneration. Talking about, let me explain that because this is really nothing to do with the message. To explain that, that Christ disproved baptismal regeneration in his problem that he's baptizing. The the verse 2 says, though Christ baptized, not but his disciples. If baptism was necessary to the doctrine of salvation, Christ would have put his hands on every believer and baptized them to make sure they were in. But he did not because that was not where the importance of salvation doctrine lied. It lied in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that he was the very Son of God, and that's where Christ put the emphasis. That's just a side note. The next time somebody tells you you must be baptized to be saved, why didn't Christ do the baptizing if that was necessary? Because it was not necessary. Now listen, we've got to follow Christ in baptism. Now back back to the accusation. It was said that Jesus baptizeth, and all men come to him. This was what Christ was accused of. And uh, what led to the problem with the Pharisees, here's the problem with the accusation. It's not all true. It's not all true. Jesus is baptizing, but not him. John's disciples made it as if Jesus physically had his hands upon people, dunking them in the water, bringing them up, and sending them down the road. So that part is not all true. Though Jesus baptizeth not, but his disciples. There's another part of the statement that's not all true. He said, all men come to him. How do we know that's not all true? Because John's still baptizing and making disciples where he is. So the accusation, though parts of that may be true, it's not all true. And the point that I'm making is that this accusation between two of God's choice people, one, the very Son of God, the elite choice and everything, John the Baptist, a special choice, disciples began to bicker about an accusation that was not all true. And it created a problem. While the accusation says it doesn't seem like much, it doesn't seem like what was said uh, was really that far out of the way or really that far off kilter. But the problem is it's accuracy. What was said just wasn't accurate. He's, He's baptizing, well, no, he's not. His disciples are. And all men are coming to him. Well, no, they're not because you're still baptizing disciples down here with John. There are, there are still moves of God in other places. And it was not all wrong, but it was not all right either. I want you to remember that in chapter number one, these Pharisees asked John if he was the Messiah. They had been taught their whole life that he was coming. And now... Now there is another there is another in the same country doing the same thing that John is doing. These Pharisees had heard That the Messiah was coming their whole life. They've been taught their entire life that there is coming a Redeemer. There's coming one that's going to redeem the nation of Israel. Going to relieve us from this Roman captivity. Going to relieve us from all of the oppression that we're under. And first they thought it was John. But now they're hearing that Jesus is doing the same thing. It's a problem. So the accuracy of the accusation It's important to get it right because the Pharisees now have heard, and the Bible said again, that Jesus knew. He said in, in chapter number two how that Jesus knew the hearts of all men. He understood their thoughts. He understood their intent. He understood every part of their being. So the accusation that was made against him, it was important that it was right. He knew what the Pharisees would do. He knew that this religious group of men would not believe that he was the Messiah. He knew that they would stir up trouble uh, between two groups of good people that are trying to serve the Lord. He knew that would be a problem. Now their whole life been hearing about the Messiah. Here he stands in front of them and they still don't. Believe. But instead, instead, a religious group of people who think, now listen, these Pharisees thought they were doing right. They thought that they understood how the situation. They thought that they, they were going to fix a problem, but rather they ran Jesus out of town. Now listen, This explains part of the confusion in the minds of the Pharisees. All the time, they're trained to look for him. Now he's here. They reject him. So if we look now at the results of the problem, the results of the problem, the results of the initial problem is a bigger problem than the first problem. What took place at the accusation and the inaccuracy of the accusation the result was that Jesus abandoned Judea. He abandoned Judea. That's the word for He left Judea. It is an abandonment. I thought, surely there was another time, there was another time in Christ's ministry when he went back uh, through Judea, but not so. John chapter 7 and verse number 1 tells us that Jesus would not walk in Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y, which is the word for Judea. He would not walk there because the Jews sought to kill him. So the results of this religious problem, the results of this accusation that was inaccurate led to Jesus abandoning Judea. It led to him uh, having to walk away. Now listen, you say, did this catch God off guard? Oh no, it's all part of what God's original plan was. He knew John the Baptist must decrease. He did not want to continue that stir. He moved away from Judea. He left and did what was all part of his father's plan from the beginning. Some say he did so to avoid a public rivalry with John, but he also knew the plan of his father and now was not the time to publicly confront the Pharisees. His time had not yet come. Had he publicly confronted the Pharisees, they would have sought to kill him even more so and it would have absolutely thrown a mess into the plan of God. To have any of y'all, and I know that that not everybody here watches uh, movies and things, but when I was growing up, there was a movie called Back to the Future. And old Marty McFly is constantly sticking his nose in the past and messing up the future. Had Christ publicly confronted The Jews at this moment, had he publicly confronted the Pharisees, uh, it would have completely altered the plan of God. It would have completely changed what what was set to take place. And while some think, well, he didn't want a a, a public rivalry with John, uh, Christ did not want that, but he also did not uh, have to stay because he knew the next stop in the journey. He knew the next stop It's here that these Pharisees will reject. I want to look. <clears throat> I'm, I'm way ahead of myself and way behind at the same time. that confuse you? Well, that will tell you where my mind is. <laughs> Amen. The word left indicates abandonment is a big deal because John has said he will increase and I must decrease. And while Christ moves on away from Judea, he is on the rise. Judea will be the ones that has to suffer as John decreases. John goes down, and Christ goes. Now, this isn't this isn't this isn't the terrible portion of the Scripture about John decreasing. That was the ministry of John. That's what he was set for. He knew that. He was prepared for that. And as Christ's ministry began to take off, John understood that mine. Slipping away, and we'll find later John's head on a charger as his ministry completely dissipates. But listen, while Christ is rising and John is fading away, it's Judea that will suffer. But while the Messiah was in front of them, they did not receive him. Christ gives us some of the greatest illustrations that comes from his word and his own ministry. Christ simply shakes the dust off his feet and moves on, continuing to preach. He knew the Pharisees' minds. They rejected him. He did not linger. He did not pout about it. He moved on to the next place in his life and in his great commission. We've already said that John 7 tells us that Jesus would not walk in Jewry or Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. And how sad that they missed Christ over religious problems. Did you know that the Jews are still missing Christ over religion? And it's religion, it's religious problems that they have. They're still missing him over religious problems. And churches suffer because of religious problems. And people suffer because of religious problems. Verse four, and listen, I want to get to this tonight, and i I'm, I'm moving fast, and I, I don't know why tonight I'm moving so quickly, but verse four will bring us to what I want to concentrate on, and that is uh, that is the phrase "Must needs." He said, "He must needs go through Samaria, Christ." Christ said, I'm going to move and leave Judea. I'm going to abandon that place and I'm going to move on to Galilee. He said, but in order to get to Galilee, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. You know, you do not have to be taught this, I'm sure, but, but there were other ways to go to Galilee. As a matter of fact, other ways that most Jews chose purposely to go to Galilee because they hated Samaritans all back into the northern kingdom and all of those things that took place the Samaritans came out of that and they had an utter hate for the Jews and the Jews had an utter hate for the Samaritans and I mean most Jews devout Jews would go across the river and down another way before they'd even think about going through Samaria Christ said I must needs here's here's the phrase must needs he said it is necessary He said, it is necessary that I go through Samaria. One writer said it like this. He said, somewhere before the foundations of the world, whenever God and the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost mapped out the plan for uh, for the world and for eternity, that he wrote an appointment in an appointment book, and Christ knew it was time to meet that appointment. He knew it was time to go. Now listen, I, I understand a, a lot of our minds can't wrap around that. We do believe he said it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment, it is that same appointment time. And here Christ said it is necessary. I must needs go through Samaria. And listen, he said that as I leave Judea, I'm going to get on a road with a purpose. There was a religious problem, but there was a road with a purpose. Christ said, I'm going to remove myself from the problem, and I'm going to move myself with a purpose toward a woman in Samaria. I do not know when it is and how it is that Christ decides that he will move on to the Samaria or he will leave Judea. I do not know the mind of Christ and I do not have to know the mind of Christ. He is God and he does very well that which he pleases. And if it is to leave one place and to go to another, that's his business, not mine. And he said, I'm going to leave a place where there is a problem and go to a place where there is a purpose. And as we arrive at Samaria, we find the Bible said out of all the things that could have been mentioned about Samaria, I'm talking about kings. Jeroboam was anointed king there. Other kings anointed at this place called Sychar, which is really Shechem. And he said said, many glorious things happened in that place, but what he mentions is that Jacob's well was there. Here's what we really know about Jacob's well in the entire Old Testament. It was never called Jacob's well. Matter of fact, I believe it's the first place it's called Jacob's well. And as I Googled Jacob's well, you can Google anything. There was a place came up somewhere about a a spring of water that they called Jacob's well here. I believe it's in Texas. And uh, in Jacob's well, people go there to dive because the waters are so deep uh, and they're so clear and and people use it as a vacation destination. And it's referred to as such uh, because Jacob's well was deep. And it is said that Jacob's well plugged in uh, to a natural underground spring uh, like an artesian well. And the water just kept flowing and flowing and flowing uh, and people would come to Jacob's well. There's a lot of things to be said about this road with a purpose. Listen, it means that it's necessary. And again, Christ is operating inside of the boundaries of his father's plan. And somewhere before that world was formed, he said, it is important that I go to Samaria. You can find the position of the countenance of Christ. He was tired displaying his humanity displaying the theological evidence that Christ, the very Son of God, was 100% flesh and got tired. It's noted that by one writer that he said, apparently the other disciples weren't tired. They all went grocery shopping while Christ sat by the well. He sat there waiting by the well for this woman there's a lot of things you know this and I. this will just be way of introduction for next week's or next time's messages. we come back together uh, listen the woman at the well uh, was there at a strange time she was there in the midday when it was hot she had walked by wells that were closer to her had to get to this well because she knew at Jacob's well she wouldn't be poked at and prodded at and made fun of by the ladies at the other well and she came at an unusual time because she knew the traffic would be low But Jesus knew all of that too. It was a road with a purpose. He got on this road because of a religious problem, but His road was one with purpose. It's one with purpose. It is a great example that God in Romans 8, 28 gave to us that He said, I will take all things and work them together for your good according to his purpose. It, it is that great that great mystery that we don't understand, this eternal good, this eternal purpose uh, that Christ has set before us when he said all things work together for good. Uh, the problem uh, looked like a big deal to the Pharisees. Uh, it looked like a big deal uh, to the disciples of John. Uh, it looked like a big deal probably to the disciples of Jesus. Uh, but Christ said, I'm going to get on a road with a purpose. I'm going to save somebody. I'm going through Samaria where they hate the Jews. They don't speak to each other. They don't associate with each other. They They certainly do not drink from each other's vessels. But Christ's first words were, Hey, woman, get me something to drink. Thus spurned the question, thou art a Jew. The Jews don't have any dealings with us. You don't drink from our vessels. You don't have anything to draw with. You can't drink from my vessel because I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. There's a greater purpose than a drink of water. It's going to lead us. This, is, this road that Christ is on is going to lead us to that fountain of living water. It's going to lead us beyond religious problems. It's going to lead us beyond uh, the racial tension uh, between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, Listen, it's going to show us uh, that when the church rejects Him, uh, the Gentiles will take Him. uh, Christ is displaying uh, the very God that He is in this text, in these Three verses, he has shown us quickly that he will leave problems. He will leave them. And he will move on where there is a purpose. Where there is a purpose. This road with purpose demonstrates that it is a divine appointment. Most Jews would have taken another way. They would have avoided going through there. They wouldn't have thought about Samaria. They were devout. It would have absolutely destroyed their image had they been seen talking, not only to a Samaritan, but the Jews in those days would not even talk to the women at all publicly. Even if it was their wife in public, they didn't talk. So, talking to the woman is one thing that would have degraded his value. Drinking from her vessel would have certainly, certainly destroyed his image. And I'm saying these things tonight because these things are not our purpose. It is it is not our purpose in life uh, to meet. An expectation of a man. It is not our purpose in life how to meet the expectation of the world or of a culture. It is our purpose in life how to please God. And Jesus came into the world, the Bible said, to save sinners. Had he have lived by the expectation of the pharisaical Jews, he would have never talked to the woman. He would have never drank from her vessel. He would have never been seen with her in the noonday like he was. And she would have died and gone to hell. And our culture has adopted a pharisaical mindset. They don't do it like we do. They don't act like we do. They don't cut their hair like we do. They don't do this. They don't do that. And people are dying and going to hell. I'm saying that to say they've missed the road of purpose. They've missed the road of purpose by being stuck in religious problems. Stuck in religion. Stuck in a system stuck in a way that they don't even really understand. They're just doing it because that's what has always been done. I'll give you a little illustration and I, I stole this from somebody. I can't remember who, who uh, told it to me. Uh, but a uh, lady was feeding, I think she was feeding her preacher maybe, if that's the story was right. And it uh, might have come from Kenny Kikendall. Not real sure, but anyway, cut the end off her roast before she put it in the pan. And the preacher said, Why you cut the end off your roast before you put it in the pan? She said, Well, that's just how mama did it. Mama always cut the end off the roast before she put it in the pan. That's how she taught me to do it. So I cut the end off my roast before I put it in the pan. Don't really know what it does. Well, it stirred the preacher's mind. He went and asked the mother, said Why do you cut the end off of your roast? I noticed your daughter does it that way. She said she did it because you do it that way. She said, well, you know, I really don't know why I cut the end off my roast. She said, that's just how my mama did it. And I do it the same way that she did it. And I taught my daughter to do it that way. Well, the grandmother was still living, so he went and asked her. And she said, the truth of the matter is, uh, the reason that I cut the end off of my roast is because it was too big for my pan. And what was happening is we were uh, wasting a bunch of roast, and we were because we were doing things the way that they've always been done, or they were doing it by some systematic system, and never asked why. And, and they're caught in the religious problems, they're caught in, in the monotony of, of doing things this way or that way, when the reality is we ought to get on the road of purpose. Road of, I'm not talking about foolish stuff. I'm not talking about rock concerts and all that garbage. I'm not talking about that stuff. Paul said in that very text that I read you before church, start, before I started preaching tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, Paul said, I became all things to all men. And he did so, he said that he might save some. Paul didn't, Paul didn't go out to and bang his head with the rockers and he didn't, Do all of that stuff, but he understood lost people. He was on a road with a purpose. He understood what it was to be lost. He was lost, a lost Pharisee. And he understood. There is a road with a purpose. The phrase just says it's necessary. It's necessary that we walk that road. I've said this many times lately. And it's just what's in my mind. I marvel, I marvel at the actions of the people of our culture and the seemingly uh, uncaring attitude that they have about how they live. Now listen, when I say that, I understand That we all sin and make mistakes. And sometimes it hits us harder than it does at other times. Sometimes it breaks us. Sometimes it seems to not bother us so much when we sin. But if you'll pay attention to somebody that really knows nothing of God, they have no sensitivity to those around them, they take no thought of the words that leave their mouth. They take no thought of the way they look. They take no thought of modesty. They take no thought of what they're taking into their bodies. They take no thought of any of that. And we are dwelling in a world. America may be as big a mission field as any country in the world. Right now. We sometimes say, well, I don't understand why missionaries are going out west. I don't understand why missionaries are going here and going yonder. We have churches everywhere. Churches do not mean gospel. Because there is a church there does not mean the real gospel is there. We live in a world that has a road with a purpose we need to be on that road I said we I'm preaching to myself Christ said I have an appointment to keep I've left Judea for a reason I've left the problems for a reason Christ could have stayed and fixed the problems with the Pharisees he could have stayed and dealt with all that, but he knew it was not his time. He had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. And hopefully the next time we come back together on a Wednesday night after Christmas, maybe we'll look more at that conversation and how he moved all of that in the right ways to save that sinner that he went for. Tonight, I guess I just wonder in my mind, do we want to stay? And maybe not everybody's here. I, I'm not, I don't want to imply that or uh, in any way make you think I'm thinking that. But we can be like Pharisees and we can, we can question every move Christ makes. We can question everything Christ did. We can question the ways and His motives. Or we can get on the road with a purpose with Him and leave the religious problems. Now listen, when I, when I say that, I'm, I'm convinced we ought to look like Christians. We ought to act like Christians. We ought to do the very best we can to be like Christ. And we fail. I fail. But we ought not let the religious system be what drives us. It ought to be Christ that motivates us. Christ that drives us. What, for years that phrase went around, what would Jesus do? Well, in most cases, Jesus would have called them hypocrites, vipers, snakes, slow down rotten scoundrels, maybe have even put a curse on them to death. He cursed trees. He cursed uh, pigs. He did all kinds of things while he was alive, and we probably don't want to know what Jesus would do. But the reality is he had a purpose in his life. He had a purpose. Did you know that most everything did, Je- Jesus did, he did, and after he did it, he said these words. He said, that scripture might be fulfilled. That scripture might be fulfilled. Christ simply walked the plan of God. He walked it. He. he uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He completed it. The work is finished. He did what was necessary. I want to be on the road with Christ. Let's stand to our feet tonight. hearts and minds are who knows where tonight with the holidays and all that's going on in life.